Game, a podcast dedicated to the Premier League, the A-League and more. Today on the show, while the Matildas swerve the coronavirus, the VUC are hoping that a Rojas booster will inject them into finals as they fail to vaccinate for snake bites. In the Premier League, Burnley get the wood over United as Old Trafford isn't the fortress it used to be, uh, and another draw at the bridge, and Liverpool see off hungry wolves on the road. Uh, I'm Colby, I'm joined today by Tommy and Jesse. Lads, uh, how are we this long weekend? Shinya Kuala? What? Happy Chinese New Year. Oh, I thought it might have been Happy Kianese New Year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm well, mate. We're, we're, what, halfway through the long weekend? So uh, we're, we're just over the hump. Looking forward to the rest of it, though. I'm on the hump because I took Tuesday off. So I'm like, I'm wow. right in that middle sweet spot. Yeah, we're at the top of the hill. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit dusty, uh, Cole. Obviously, we went to the, uh, the pub on Friday, uh, Frothy Friday. And, um, yeah, let's just say that we, I'm, I'm going to need to bounce back. And hence, I've uh, brought myself a Pepsi. Uh, and Tommy and I, uh, Tommy and I are here on the on the Qingdao's, mate. That was a very solid beer selection uh, by yourself. Speaking of coronavirus, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an inspired decision, just quietly. Uh, that's that's definitely a moment of the weekend. But boys, uh, moment of the week uh, in football, Tommy. What stood out for you, mate? Look, uh, I'm I'm sure we'll probably go through this in a little bit more detail. But for me, it was hard to go past uh, the Oli Roos qualifying for for the Olympics. Um, that's a it's a great victory overnight, and um, yeah, I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, huge. We definitely will go through that. Uh, Jesse, what about you, mate? Uh, a lot of football's passed since it happened, but I, I was, I'm going to go back to the, the Villa game, um, and I believe it was Tyrone Mings scoring the winner in the uh, last kick of the game against Watford. Um, huge for Villa because they were just, you know, absolutely cascading down the table and looking like they were going to be uh, entrenched in the bottom three, and it looked like they were going to get only one point from that game, and then uh, out of nowhere they managed to get all three, so huge, huge win over uh, Watford. I got a couple of shout outs this week. Um, one one moment of the week uh, goes to the AFC. I think that's the first time I or anyone on this podcast will ever give the AFC uh, a moment of the week. And that's that's um, their decision to move the Matildas um, Tokyo 2020 qualifiers um, that were supposed to take place in the coronavirus epicenter. Um, they were due to play China, Thailand and Taiwan um, in, in their final round of the qualifying um, in, in Wuhan, which is, the, yeah, they've had like 100 plus cases of the coronavirus there now and they've moved it to Nanjing. So would, would Taiwan or China, Chinese Taipei, Taipei, whatever you want to call it's, them. It's Taiwan on this podcast, mate. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> they, they were going to play in China, were they? In mainland China? Uh, well, I believe so. Like that... that boggles the mind that that was even agreed to by someone or <laughs> well, i don't know whether it's like it uh, i think the um it's it's not quite a north and south korea situation it's, oh, okay, it's more right. like a, a a china sort of asserting ownership and, and dominance over taiwan but i think i think they're still on political good enough terms that they'll, they'll play in they mainland can... china but i could be wrong yeah okay yeah taiwanese team uh coached by Mesut Ozil. A couple of others, a couple of other uh, moments for me. Obviously, uh, Aaron Moy being uh, signed on a permanent deal uh, to Brighton. It was reported by SBS and, and then made official by Brighton a day or two later. Um, sounds like the move was for about the five million pound mark that, that was reported. And um, 
It's a steal, isn't it? Great, great to see him on a on a permanent there. Brighton aren't out of uh, you know fully out of danger yet, and they they could easily get sucked into the relegation zone proper. Uh, they're not they're not very far out of it, but um, yeah, he's he's there on a, on a pretty decent deal. I think it's like a, a three to three and a half year deal. I don't have the facts in front of me, but yeah, that's uh, like buzzing for him to stay up in the in the Premier League and um, join Matty Ryan uh, on a permanent basis. Join the movement. Join the movement. Uh, boys, what stood out to you this week in the wrong way? Well, I'll, I'll let me jump in first, boys. Uh, football's no stranger to some controversial chants, let's call them. Um, this one comes from Man United, though. Um, now, they're obviously struggling, and uh, and we'll unpack how like their form is going a little bit later in the Premier League segment, but um, this particular chant I thought was next level, and uh, yeah... So you, you two are looking at each other very knowingly, like you know exactly. No, what I'm, I'm skeptical. I don't know what you're about to say. So uh, this one, oh, and I'll read through the lyrics of this one. Ed Woodward is going to die. How we kill him, I don't know. <laughs> Chop him up from head to toe. All I know is Edward's going to die. <laughs> oh wow, that is that is next level. What's like, that I even mean, to the tune of? <laughs> yeah. Thomas the Tank Engine, maybe. <laughs> but I mean, like I've I've heard like. Like I said, football's no stranger to whether it's homophobic or racist, but that is just like it's straight just up a, murdery. It, exactly, it's just a death threat, <laughs> and uh, like I, I can't believe it. Like the the first time I saw that wasn't like a news article; it was just a video posted on on the socials, and so it, it, there was no editorial editorializing or anything that went along with it. It was just yeah, just bang in your face. Uh, they're straight gonna up death threats. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like wowee. Uh, so yeah, that's my own goal of the week. Oof. Uh, Jesse, what have, what have you got for us, mate? Well, um, yeah, uh, it's pretty, to pretty hard to follow that. Um, or hard to bottom? I don't know. I, I was actually just going to refer to, um, uh, again, this was a while ago, but uh, Everson uh, managing to blow a two-goal lead between the minutes 93 and 94. Um, I don't think I've seen a collapse uh, like that since the uh, New Zealand cricket team here a month or so ago. <laughs> and uh, I... Also, like, I also really enjoyed the tweet that we were circulating early in the week with the, the guy who went home early and, uh, you know, really clocked out a bit early and uh, had too much faith in his team. He was real chuffed that he'd got the early train. So and smug. <laughs> yeah. And then to say underneath that it, it was like... How uh, do I delete yeah, this? Yeah, how do I delete it? Because it had been shared like 60,000 times or something. Oh, brilliant. You'll love to see it. Got to stay switched on. <laughs> uh, my own goal this week, one of them um, goes to CR7 and his new top knot. Um, but curiously, uh, to, to borrow your phrase, Tommy, um, pre-top knot, uh, Ronaldo had a run of 15 games for a return of only six goals. And post-top knot, uh, he's had a run of 10 games for 13 goals. Boys, I don't remember the last time a flog haircut was uh, correlated with such an uptick in form. Uh, I mean, a top notch <laughs> uptake in form. He, he took, it, took it up a notch. Um, maybe, maybe Ryan Grant's mullet. Uh, co- coincided with a with a patch of good form from him, but what was Stefan Mork's uh, form like when he had that? Oh, that it was cut? terrible, terrible. Most most of the time, I think you do find that a flog haircut or a really bold haircut is associated with a, a downturn in form. You're thinking just Neymar's Neymar's spaghetti hair, <laughs> Neymar's blonde hair, even the Neymar's uh, blonde spaghetti. I mean, <laughs> Tommy C on a Sunday. I mean, with a fresh fade. I mean, those passes just that little bit crispier. That's well, right. Nothing controversial about that fade. Then you've just got the consistent performance that yep, you've, you've yep. got. You've come to know and expect from Tommy C. Yep, that's a positive correlation, I guess you could say. Mm, positive correlation. But I mean, if if Tommy was to get some kind of flog haircut, I don't know how it would affect his form. <laughs> 
I've, I just feel like I'm a passenger for this chat. Like, the listeners are here for it. He's <laughs> yeah. loving it. He's loving it. Uh, and um, second of all, uh, it's it's Marcus Babel uh, for me. We will talk about his his sacking in a moment, um, but it was the way he sort of went out. He, he got sacked and put out this lovely departure message and talked about the players and how great everyone at the club is. And then, like literally days later, he goes um, he, go, he goes. Uh, to give an interview to German media and basically says how shit the A-League is and the football level's poor, at least I can say it now and the refs are shit and like, you know, yes, the A-League isn't the standard of the Bundesliga but it's a bit poor form to slag off the league when you're not even one foot out the door. Um, yeah, especially now you've got a big payout and he's just going to be sitting on a beach in Australia until the German winter's over. Um, but do you think, boys, that the, uh, the soccer public's a bit too sensitive about what outsiders sort of think of our league? Well, like you said, I think we, we know that it's not the Premier League. We know it's not the Bundesliga. Um, and I think we're, we're happy with, uh, with ourselves knowing where it's at, but we just don't like other people saying it. It's like, no, no, we can say it because like we're in the family, but if people from outside of the family try to say it, yeah. no, that's not on. It's shit, but it's our shit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Leave uh, it alone. Yeah, Joanna's family being Portuguese, they, the Portuguese are very much like that. They can say the Passado Portugal, but if you do it, it's hell to, hell to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're right, boys. I think there's got to be a balance, right? Like we shouldn't – yes, we shouldn't need validation from all these outsiders to the league. But we also shouldn't be like, oh, this is a meme league. Like, oh, ha, ha, ha. like you know, super self-deprecating and like we don't care about the standard of it because we want it to be good. Those two things should be mutually exclusive. We should be able to like be here for the memes and, and the, the ridiculousness of it all but also want it to be the best it can be because it, you know, produces Oliroos, which we'll talk about. It produces Socceroos. Um, and um, yeah, we, we should want it to be the best it can be. Surely the uh, the real winner here for for um, Babel was the um, the laser removalist um, for his tattoo. Oh yeah, they're going to get a big big fee for that one. I think um, they get well, a, a percentage fee of his of his payout. Well, let's talk about the <laughs> uh, let's talk about the sacking then, boys, because Babel was uh, he became the third A League manager to get the sack in as many weeks this season after a string of bad results and 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 what's really been you'd, you'd have to say uh, an underperforming squad. Um, some some have given credit to the Wanderers for giving him as much time as they had, um, but um, what did you think about the amount of time it, it it took for the Wanderers to pull the trigger? Yeah, I was surprised. I think he only won like uh, ten uh, ten games in like forty, or I think I, I can't remember the exact stat, but um, it, it was surprising because they, whilst they looked good for about three games at the beginning of this season, sort of beyond that they were always very very average and. It was only at the beginning of the season I thought, oh, yeah, maybe they've turned the corner here. But all of last season just about they were yeah, pretty bang average and now they're bang average again. And Even even those games you're referring to at the start of the season, we were referring to them as um, Kirsten the Dick FC because they were they were, <laughs> they were conceding about 20 shots or something and, you know, opposition teams are doing their best to miss the goal for some reason. So they, they could have actually got a few hidings in those first three games. So they got through. One of them that comes to mind is the, the raw game. Um, when they conceded quite a few chances, and the Raw probably should have won that, because he was he was Babel was a bit of a darling of um, soccer Twitter more broadly, but also like the the sort of soccer media as well. He was much loved by everyone on Fox Sports and and SBS and the like. Um, you know, given that there's no relegation threat in the A League, do you think that A League clubs stick with um, bad managers that are good blokes for too long? Like I'm thinking of guys like Babel, obviously Aloisi at the Raw. Ernie Merrick, Kenny Lowe stuck around way past his use by date at Perth. What do you think about that? Well, I think there's a lot of a lot of managers that will live off of their reputations, whether it's um, 
Like, I mean, um, Babel arguably hadn't really achieved a lot before he came to the A-League and he was only really talked about in terms of his playing career. And, yeah, look, some players turn – some great players turn into to great managers, but it's by no means uh, a certainty that just because you've played at the highest level does that mean that you're going to become a successful manager at any level. And I think uh, – Sorry, are we talking about the Brisbane Roar at this point? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's another good example. Um, and I think Robbie Fowler is, uh, has underestimated the league and, and, and brought in some crap players just thinking that, oh, yeah, like uh, – and, and maybe I don't know if he has a great eye for, for talent, but um, he, he was one of the great players in the A-League, one of the great players in the Premier League. And, yeah. It's also what you do with them as well. We'll get on to Fowler later in the yeah. podcast, but like he's – Sorry, I we're going to be talking about Babel, aren't we? I well, cannot <laughs> discern – or just good good bloke, bad managers I, I, mm. I want to talk about because um, I don't know if you saw it, but Ante Djukic uh, put out a great piece on ESPN – um, on this saying that, yeah, that the soccer media in Australia just fails the public with this approach because they, they get sort of swept up in these good bloke personalities when really we should be focusing on the, on the football. And, um, you know, if the football's bad, then we should change the manager, basically, I and, think is, is what he's saying. And the, real, and the real damage, you know, here is actually, um, you know, the, the retail industry in Australia is obviously um, taking a bit of a hit. And um, that's probably because Bab was about to leave. Um, obviously, he's been the best dress coach. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I would argue also in the same week that Carlton. How's David Jones going to handle this? Well, considering that Carlton supermarkets have pulled out of their Australian ventures in the same week, um, what you know, what would be the bigger uh, dent into the retail industry, Carlton or Babel leaving? Do you think that's a coincidence, or do you think uh, that's the biggest German pullout since 1945? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> There he is again. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so, boys, Western, uh, Western Sydney. Tommy, unless you had a final thought yeah, on I this did, point. Sorry, yeah. I did, yeah. Um, it was you, – you mentioned about sort of football media in Australia and um, we've talked about um, – yesterday I was talking with Alex from Preston, friend of the pod, at the the City game about uh, the, um, the A-League and how – um, essentially the A-League doesn't have a – there's not a, a huge amount of media that follow the A-League. There, there are sort of some of the, the, the regular suspects, um, the, the Simon Hills and the, and the like, Daniel Garbs and so on, and Fox give like the, the sports some great success, uh, great coverage. But um, you, you look at some of the other major newspapers and there might only be one, maybe two tops, three – um, sort of major writers that are, that are covering it. And it means that like and it's, it's, definitely it's not easy for them to get kind of too close to some of the people or the clubs that they're covering, not, not because they like them, but just because they're, they're, they're in their back pockets. And, like, uh, and it's partly to do with the Fox coverage. So obviously like uh, when you watch Rugby League and the other sports that Fox covers, their point of difference that they're trying to do, which is different to say over in Europe, is they want to interview them, mic them up before the game while they're training, talk to them then, talk to them at halftime, talk to them all the time. Like you basically, as a coach, you couldn't, you can't hide away and just be a coach. You actually have to be almost a bit of a, a sports on. personality mm. all the time. Mm. And, and and some people, I mean, we've seen what that's like with Merrick. Um, there are some coaches which just they're not interested in that, and um, so basically the media wants a Darlene and they kind of make 
some of the uh, coaches into darlings when they're not probably not suited to be them in the first place. And good point, Tommy, about the um, the broadcaster monopoly here. I think because Fox have have the monopoly on the A League, they're the rights mm. holder, mm. Um, and and so you know it, it naturally breeds this situation where whoever they buddy up with is is um, seen as you know they they get sort of first crack at how that um, how that coach or player is perceived in the in yeah. the wider media here. So um, yeah, they're they're sort of the gatekeepers to uh, yeah how how they're presented in a way. Whereas you know in a lot of other leagues that are covered by a variety of broadcasters, you get a more, more balanced opinion, and you don't have to have necessarily coaches or players just playing it up to one particular broadcaster, or they don't have as much power or as much say in that. Yeah, and and even um, to to take this example a little bit further, um, on ironically on Fox's podcast during the week, they were they use the example about how hard it is for NPL managers to crack the. Uh, crack the A-League and to get an opportunity. And obviously Mark people hold up Mark Rudin as the best example to say, oh, but but he did it. So like there's there's no glass ceiling or anything like that. But people forget that while Mark Rudin was at Sydney United, he was on uh, Fox Sports every week as a commentator. So he built up a profile. Uh, yeah, and it was yeah, with the assistance of Fox Sports that he was able to build a profile mm-hmm. and then he was thrown out regularly as a candidate for every time a, a coach's gig came up. They're like the Triple J of um, yeah, yeah, of, exactly. Of broadcasters. You've yeah. got to be a commentator or a pundit before you can get an A League. And gig. if anybody knows about persistence, it's Mark Rudin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, or, just leave some of your coaching notes on a USB somewhere. <laughs> uh, quick, quick word. Um, Boys, uh, obviously the Wanderers had a bye this week um, and they face Central Coast in, in Gosford on the 2nd of Feb. Um, Jean-Paul Demargini uh, will take over as coach, assisted by former player Labano Haliti. Who do you think, boys, is going to get the gig in the long term, though, for the Wanderers? Um, it's curious uh, you mentioned about JP uh, Demargini. Um, he's been floating around the A-League for a long... Floating around the Demargini? <laughs> <laughs> he's been floating around the A-League for a long time as an assistant. Um, and I almost wonder if it's if it's uh, his turn to have a crack as a, a senior ca- coach. I think he may have had, he may have been a caretaker for a period, maybe at either Western Sydney or maybe even uh, might have been Newcastle. I think. Um, but one of those names that I've read a lot, but clearly not heard a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually, I actually met him. He when he was uh, oh, New South Wales, when he was New South Wales technical director. He came down to Nara and did like a coaching clinic with us. When I was like, well, what was I? 13 or 14 or something. And at the time, I was just like, wow, I have no idea what this guy is teaching me about. But So yeah. is he responsible for your four goals at Eltham? Or? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, more in importantly, the, the if, weekly, we, um, if we want the good oil here, um, maybe uh, Tommy just to slide into the DMs. Daddy'd remember That'd be him. unlike Tommy. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm boys. this alone. We have to move on. Uh, quick transfer window update. I'll get your thoughts on um, the the you know, one or two transfers across the Premier League or the A-League that have stood out for you in a moment. But first, I guess, we've, we've got to talk about Marco Rojas, uh, the worst-kept secret in the A-League, the victory of confirmed the return of Marco Rojas um, an hour after the mutual termination of Kiki Dobras. Uh, Rojas arrives uh, back at what will be his third spell at the victory after stints in the Eredivisie and the Danish Superliga. He looks like a bloke who spent a couple of years backpacking around Europe too with that long hair and a little bit of an unshaven look. Um, I'll just read out a, a few reactions to the Kiwi Messi's uh, third coming uh, from Vuck fans on Twitter who have been thirsty about it to say the least. Uh, at Suvla, uh, just knee-slided through the aisles at work, all caps, Dobra's mutual termination and Rojas in. Fucking sue! <laughs> uh, at Prime Toivonen, we're going to win the league. We're going to win the league. All caps. 
Matthew Caramone, uh, Caramone uh, it's like Jesus has risen. And Filthy Sigurdsson, oh, Marco Rojas, the title run starts now, boys. Thoughts on this uh, signing? I love the delusion of Vuck fans that like uh, Rojas is going to paper over the cracks of pretty much their bang average squad at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and in a peculiar position too. Like I don't, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen. But yeah, I, curious about your thoughts about the the wee man Jesse. Well, the wee man's back. Um, it, it's 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 good for New Zealand football that he's likely to be playing regularly again. Because I don't think he yeah, has yeah. been uh, in the last, what, two years, 18 months or so? Well, I, I actually, to be honest, he's been that far off the radar that he probably has been back back in around Europe and he's probably learned a few bar chords on the guitar because he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's he, he looks sharp. It's the only thing he's been playing, the guitar? Um, <laughs> boys, um, Ana Batachara wants to know uh, thoughts on Pablo Mari, uh, who's apparently signing for Arsenal on loan. So he's a central defender playing for uh Flamengo, I think. He uh, was at Flamengo. Yeah, via um, Deportivo La Coruña. Well, so he he was a Melbourne Mayo. City spicy. He was a Melbourne City player uh, for three years. Loaned out to Girona, Deportivo La Coruña, and uh, another team. I can't remember who it was, but then uh, he was sold um, just over six months ago by Man City to Flamengo for one million euros. And then, uh, obviously, he had a really successful season with that all-conquering Flamengo team that won the Brasileirão, won the Copa Libertadores. And then uh, uh, then it looks like now um, he also made the, the Brasileirão team of the year, even though he only played half the season, um, which is pretty significant. And then he, um, it looks like now Arsenal are going to buy him for £7.5 million. Pounds. So that's a pretty decent little financial win for Flamengo as well. And not bad from Arsenal in terms of the price you'd have to say like yeah yeah like it's not like a United they'll you know coming in for him for 20 million or whatever if he's valued at a mil yeah so like so like for for comparison um Balbuena who was one of the probably the one of the better um uh, I wouldn't say elite but one of the best central defenders in the Brazilian and played for Corinthians before he went to West Ham uh he left for four and a half million um, and so, yeah, seven and a half. Well, I think I think it was eighteen months ago. As much as you can use price to be a determinant of quality, which sometimes you can. Yeah. Oh, but in terms of like the deal, mm. right? Like, and I, to be honest, I've never seen what's his name, Pablo Mari, play before. Um, I think Arsenal have probably got a pretty decent deal. If he turns out to be cabbage, well, so be it. I mean, how much worse than uh, David Luiz can he be? Well, that you are. I don't think David Luiz is the problem there at the moment. Oh, we, we will get on to this too, listeners. Don't throw him under the bus just because we're half <laughs> shit. Uh, anyone else um, stand out to you uh, in the in the transfer window in the week since we uh, last all caught up, boys? Well, all of the uh, the murmurings, and again, I think Damo's uh, you know a, a little bit ahead on this actually because I, I'd noted down the the players that are linked to Inter. Um, so there was Moses, there was Giroud, Eriksson. Um, and some of these deals look like they're pretty close to completion. I think uh, I think Moses had already been completed. Yeah, um, so Moses is confirmed and also Ashley Young as well. He's going correct. to Inter as well and it just seems like Inter are just hooving up all of the Experience. speed to seed grade, mm. grade uh, uh, Premier League talent at the moment. I don't mind it actually. Like they're getting decent deals for depth in their squad. I don't know whether the Ericsson deal has been confirmed yet. It's like very strongly rumored and that would be an excellent signing for them. Like that's a, that's a, you know, he's a first teamer for them, but then you've got the other guys in there as, um, 
as depth. And I also heard that they're looking at Giroud as well, which I think would be a great signing for them considering mm. they play with, with two up the front. So they really need, um, you know, to get Lukaku and Lataro some some rest or some rotation. Mm. So I think it'd be great for them. Uh, uh, Bar Ericsson, most of these players have all been in a winning team, a title winning team at some stage. And that's I think that's the forefront of Conte's thinking. Mm. Trying to yeah, they're really going for it, aren't they? Yeah. So that's, that's really great. Uh, anyone else stand out? To you, Tommy, how how did you rate the uh, the, the young Celtic lad for for City? Ah, uh, yeah. So Henry Henry played a uh, full game yesterday for City, and I thought he was very good. Um, like I, to be honest, I hadn't heard much about him, and he only signed I think on Wednesday or Thursday this week. Mm. Um, but yeah, he really kind of came out of nowhere. I, to be honest, I didn't even know when Bill Hill was injured, and not for long enough to be on to be replaced on one of those injury replacement deals. But um, yeah, Henry came in and he looked really really good. Um, Twenty four on loan from Celtic, so. Look, um, yeah, promising signs for him. He, he looks a player. We're going to get Johnny, um, our uh, resident Celtic fan, back on the pod um, in, the, in the coming weeks. So we'll, we'll have to get his opinion on him as well. Just a last word on uh, Bruno Fernandes. Um, he, his agent is still playing hard to get, um, massive cocktees, and uh, <laughs> basically United want him. Um, it looks like Fernandes wants to go as well, but it, they just can't seem to come to an agreement on the fee, and it's been going on and on and on. This has almost been going on for for two years, hasn't it? Because you remember, was it last summer when there was that issue with like the fans invading the fans in inverted commas invading the training pitch the new and, contract. and him and I think it was when Rui Patricio and Cavalio all left, um, and he ended up getting an upgraded deal out of it, sneaky. Um, but yeah, like it seems like it's just the, the the deal that's been agreed to for for ages, and they just can't get it across. He's the got line. a real hardball agent, um, but I think what's interesting does, about do you sport- think he actually wants to leave? Yeah, I think he does because Sporting's in a similar position. I know in a weird way to Napoli. So Napoli's got Koulibaly, and everyone's talked about how Napoli will never sell Koulibaly unless it's big numbers. But Napoli, just like Sporting, um, are in this position where maybe it's not going to be the winter transfer window, but by the summer transfer window, they're going to have to replenish their squad. Mm-hmm. And to do so, you have to sell someone. And Koulibaly is probably going to go for 100 mil, 120 mil. Um, that's a pretty good amount of money to start rebuilding your squad. So similarly, I think Sporting have to sell him because Benfica um, and Porto have just kept pumping out really good uh, players and replenishing their squads. But Sporting's looks a shadow of what it's been the last few years. Mm, interesting. Boys, something else that's been going on uh, for ever and ever apart from this introductory segment uh, is the <laughs> is the uh, Ollie Roos uh, Olympic qualification drought and, and they've now broken a 12-year Olympic qualification drought after winning a third-place playoff against Uzbekistan in the AFC Under-23 Championship overnight. And while that's not quite the 30-year-plus drought the Socceroos overcame to get to the World Cup in 2006, it's a massive positive uh, for Australian football. Um, boys, what do you put this uh, drought-breaking success down to? Well... When you go into a tournament like this, whether it's under twenty threes or at uh, all age, like you need a little bit of luck to um, because you have a, one game where sort of things don't quite fall your way and and uh, you're just not quite on yourselves. And I think the it was played in Thailand, wasn't it? So um, the conditions are, are going to be tough to play in as well. And I, a lot of the players aren't playing a lot. So first of all, you need a little bit of luck on your side, but uh, you've got to give credit, I think, to the to the coaching staff as well. I think they've done a really good job in pre- uh, preparing the the lads as well. So um, yeah, those those two things combined, I think, have, have really really helped. All so, of those things and um, Torre, yeah, AHT had a, had a good tournament. Daggers oh Daggers had a good tournament. Uh, apparently, uh, 
Shannon or Matt Olson's boy, uh, we don't know, but I'm claiming him as mine from his time at Brisbane Raw. And Episcopo as well uh, was was really good too. So you can have him weeknights and you can have him on the weekends. That's right. We'll, we'll work out some kind of custody arrangement, boys. <laughs> just just get into my mentions. Uh, and so, yeah, do we, do we think then Arnie's choice to do the dual uh, ruse and Ollie ruse uh, coaching role vindicated? Was that really a choice? I thought it was just cost cutting from the FFA, wasn't it? I actually think it was his choice. Like he, he, he wanted apparently to. it was a captain's call, and he he pulled oh. rank and um, said, "I want to do this as well." So okay, maybe he wanted to have a, just have another crack after he'd already been at the helm there as well. I don't know. Yeah, that's 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 not unreasonable. But I guess um, like if you you think it was down to to him wanting to do it, it may have been that he he wanted to get up close and personal with that young group of players. The next crop. Yeah, so that he he gets a better idea of what personalities he wants, who's on the right trajectory for making the next level. And I think that's what he the, said to them the as well, roots, like yeah. that, you know, he's really instilled that in all of the Ollie mm-hmm. Like this is your audition to be in the Socceroos. Like yeah. you need to, yeah. We talked, there's there's examples out there. I think Uruguay's the best one where they, they get players at like 15, 16 and say you, because they're so small as a nation and we're not dissimilar that, like pretty much once you get in at 15, 16, like as long as you stay on that trajectory, you, there's a very good chance you're going to end up playing uh, for the for the all-age team. And like it, it makes sense to uh, when you do have, I guess, a, a small um, pool to pick from to, to say at, at a young age, you want to be um, you want to be playing for the Socceroos. This is the trajectory you've got to be hitting. You've got to be playing. You've got to be performing at the highest level. And an attitude and um, approach is so important as well for these young guys. And you were saying vindicated. I mean, do you think Arnie at the stage is saying, I'm right, I swear I'm right, I swear I knew it all along? <laughs> I reckon he's saying uh, some variant of that. Um, one one sort of question from out of left field that we had uh, was it was Arne Badachara again um, saying who should manage us in the Olympics and why should it be Postacoglu, which I thought was a bit of a curly question and and probably a big step back for Postacoglu if he came in and managed the Oli Roos sort of under Graham Arnold at the Roos gig in the hierarchy. I mean, I take I definitely take Postacoglu if Postacoglu was doing the dual role. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think. Um yeah, I'm going to flat bat this one because <laughs> you, even if he was brought in, he, he's not going to have enough time to like impose any sort of philosophy on that. Uh, he's done it before, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> How well did that go for us? Um, and, um, and Shannon wants to know which three overage players would you be taking? Jesse, do, do you have any ideas on this, Jesse? You're probably, probably not familiar enough with the, the ruse yet. To say which overage players you'd you'd, you'd see in there. Sorry, mate, I, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus by sort of like possibly throwing this. Tommy, real that was a real handball from you. Tommy. No, I definitely I definitely seen Robbie Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was sort of looking at, at Jesse because like there's a school there's a couple of schools of thought out there about this one that like you you send like your Aaron Moyes, your Matty Ryan, Marco Rojas, Chris Wood, yeah. and Costa Barbarossas. <laughs> but um, I, I um. I'm not a huge believer in like sending overage players to the Olympics. I think. Like, well, you reckon none? Yeah, like you've already got Riley McRae coming back um, from suspension. Bad boy, Riley. Yeah, uh, and you've also got uh, Azani, who who may be fit um, to to play at the Olympics, and so you've got two pretty big players, uh, big personalities coming back. I think they but could I, still I, do with a little bit more steel in midfield and in the heart of defence, though. I wouldn't yep. mind seeing like a Luongo, um, who's who's not had the amount of times um, at national level that he should. Maybe it's, it's maybe I don't know how like overage players see this either. Whether they, you know, if they're if they've like been established in the Socceroos, are they really like? Are they happy about this? Are they like, oh great, I get to go to the Olympics, or do they see it as a bit of a like, 
oh, like I've got to go and play for the under 23s. I, I don't know. Yeah. But like I think a Luongo would do well. I think uh, Milos Deganak. Yeah. In, in the heart of defence would, would um, do do really well. Maybe Matt Simon off the bench in the 90s. <laughs> That'd be real Graham Arnold areas, wouldn't it? Even a Ryan Grant uh, at, yeah. at right back. Um, th- those three, are, I think, would be great. Yeah. Um, all right, boys. Um, and, like, speaking of speaking of the, the young players, uh, are we finally sort of seeing the, the A-League youth academies bearing fruit? Do you think that has anything to do with their success or...? Um, that's, that's a tricky one, Colbs, because not a lot of these players are actually playing in the A-League. Mm. Like a lot of them uh, are in their early 20s and, and Riley McCree is probably one of the few that's at that age group that is actually playing regularly and he's been playing consistently for the last couple of years. So, and, but he wasn't in the, yeah, in exactly the campaign. Right. Like, but that's actually, the irony. That's, but, that's a good point because um, Richard Parkin uh, did a great piece in the, in the Guardian breaking mm. down um, for this tournament the, the, sort of a, the spread of minutes that the players in the Korean under-23 team mm. were getting um, when they, who comprehensively beat the Oli Roos um, and how much the Oli Roos were getting. And, you know, it was like it was nothing. They were getting no senior minutes basically com- as compared with the, the Koreans and other others at the tournament. So great that our academies are producing talent. But I think you're right, Tommy. Like with no promotion and relegation, they just need to be getting minutes. Like guys mm. like Dylan Wenzel-Halls, Daggers, who we, I know has been injured and he's behind some pretty talented guys at Perth. But we're going to lose these guys if we don't start giving them senior minutes, especially in the A-League. Mm. Um yeah, I'm not sure if it's an issue of promotion relegation, but I think it's definitely an issue of just the number of senior teams we've got. What I'm saying is because we don't have promotion relegation, why not give the kids a bit more of a chance? Yeah. It's not as if you can sort of say from the A-League club's perspective, oh, we're fighting relegation, we can't yeah. really afford to be like giving them those guys a chance. But I mean like Brendan Wilson uh, left Perth in the last two weeks and he started for Wellington um, uh, yesterday or Friday, I can't remember which day it was, but um, it's a good example of how a young player who's talented thinks he should be playing, um, albeit he's at Perth, high-achieving team, can't find himself minutes, and so he says, well, I'm, I'm going elsewhere then. You're going to go to another high-achieving team. Yeah, but he, he came straight into straight into the squad and uh, like it, the, the team won as well. So, Speaking of um, A-League products, um, Matt Olsen wants to know um, who's been the most underrated player um, that you've seen across all the 11 clubs as we sort of reach the midway point of the season? Whoa, that's a tricky one. I'm, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a few out there, boys, while you have a think about it. I, I'm gonna, I was big upping Luke Devere, um, and I stand by that. I think he's been very underrated this mm-hmm. season, um, very key to Wellington's defence alongside um, Stevie Longpin's uh, Taylor and, <laughs> um, and Marinovic, who's been doing a fantastic job in goal. I think um, Luke Bratton. I know we touched yeah, on. I it. was going to say Bratton. He was my one because I know we touched on it when, when Stomo was yeah. on the podcast. But he's he's just been you know he surprised me. Um, you know I was I was one of the the, the big proponents of um, uh, you know Bratton was the dud in that deal, but he's been doing very well. Kian AC, obviously, we mentioned him on the pod a couple of weeks ago. Um, he, I think he's still very underrated. Anything? Any, any anyone standing uh, out to you, boys? Briante's been very, very good this season uh, for for City, and and sometimes in a more advanced role. But um, in the last couple, of, probably the last month or so, he's been in a deeper midfield role. But he's been consistently Melbourne City's best player. Um, uh, well, him, him and uh, McLaren. But um, yeah, he, in a um, in a team that's second place, and to be playing that consistently, you have to um, give credit where credit's due. I think. I actually like. I'm going to say it's pretty surprising one. I actually think Scott Neville at the at the Raw has been underrated. Um, oh. Few few 
crucial goals. Uh, I think he's been defensively solid. Uh, yeah, I think he's I think he's a bit underrated as well. He's got a great work rate, like not a shit cross all the time, um, <laughs> which is you know sort of all you, you can ask for. Teeth, mate. All you can ask for. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like uh, he's been he's been very underrated too, and deserves some deserves some props. Uh, coming up next, uh, round sixteen of the A League. Sydney looking to quicken the tempo. Grant had to readjust. Down Johan slips it through nicely. Barbarusis with a cutback. Lafonda is just there waiting. Down Johan gets around Triore, and the tapping is there for Adam Lafondra. Here's Luka Ivanovic in the team after injury and he's shrugged off the attentions of his marker his Ninkovic should be three Alexander Baumjohan finally has a goal for Sydney FC and on his display tonight boy has he earned it well the 52nd big blue didn't disappoint did it and a bit of everything and in the end it's three points for Sydney FC Baumjohan and Broxham dismissed late on but in the end, Steve Corica's team, despite the efforts of Robbie Cruz, just too good. Yes, now to get into the actual football boys. Um, Sydney extended their unbeaten streak to 11 games after a comprehensive 3-0 away Big Blue win on Friday night. Uh, Sydney were efficient and clinical um, as they, they put the Vuck to the sword. Um, the Vuck didn't create many chances and their best uh, coming through. Cruz's only good cross of the night um, was to Toivon at the far post, which he'd, you'd think he'd usually put away. Uh, boys, what did you make of this one? Uh, of Toivonen's miss? Uh, um. This and, and the game <laughs> as a whole. Toivonen's miss, I thought, was uh, one of the worst uh, attempts at goal like I'd seen for, for the season. He we haven't talked about like, Hoffman's big miss yet. Yeah. Um, but frankly, bizarre from like a, a player that we've we've just seen be so clinical over the last however long he's been in the A League now. Um, but he, maybe he was just shocked that Cruz had put in a decent cross. Yeah, I think so. He was surprised. <laughs> he didn't expect it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess um, not not hugely surprised by the results or in a lot of ways the scoreline either in this one. You mentioned that uh, Victory really only had one one clear opportunity. They probably should have scored that. And that was a, when it was at one all, uh, sorry, one nil. And if they had a scored, then maybe the game would have turned out a bit differently. But you, know, you sort of suspect that it probably wouldn't have. Because uh, a few minutes later, after that mischance, um, Costa Barbarossa scored at the other end. So yeah, um, it was, and it was a very well worked Sydney move. Sydney just looked a class above the victory. You have to say in this they game, they look so slick. And even though uh, Ninkovic was uh, Ninkovic was sort of as a Involved as he always is, I thought Barmyohan was really, really good in this. And what I um, for that second goal for the um, Barbarus has ended up getting the credit for. That's all down to Barmyohan and his movement and in a play. I can't remember who he did the one-two with. I think it was Ninkovic. Mm. Um, but what I what really caught me off guard was uh, when I was watching that was Barmyohan's turn of pace as well. He he really turned it on, and it's not a player who I've really associated with having a turn of speed like that. He doesn't have a high top speed, but he's very quick off the mark, isn't he? He's very quick in those tight little spaces, yeah, and um, he's, he's the A League Coutinho, and um, he's got the uh, the fresh fade as well, which I knew you'd appreciate. Um, but um, I noticed with him, he's. I mean, you were talking about underrated players before, and I thought, no, you can't you can't throw him into the underrated category because obviously everyone knew it, but he was a quality uh, transfer. But amongst many many good players at Sydney this season, he hasn't kind of shone that that much. And that was a really good example of when when they want to just put all the traffic through him, they want to say, listen, you mate, you 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 create. 
um, he can pretty much dictate the result of a game by mm. just how heavily involved he was. And he set up the Lafondra opener as well with some really clever play. I'm thinking Meg, um, uh, what's his name, Traore as well, down there, you know, and, and fizz, fizz the ball in for Lafondra. Rest in peace. <laughs> RIP uh, just ended some careers. I think, it, yeah, I, I, you and I, Jesse, were saying at the pub, I think that's his best game in, in Sydney Colours. I think it was his debut goal for the club as well when he put on that, that Sydney's third goal. Um, and then then gets sent off after a little little scuffle with uh, DJ Brox. Uh, boys, uh, Jack Hardy on Twitter wants to know, what, what do we think about the Brox and Balmyohan uh, scuffle? In in some ways, uh, I didn't like that Bumyahan got sent off. Cause Neither. Was, <laughs> but at the same time, Broxham got sent off, so it kind of evened out. Does that work? You'd be gutted if he was in your fantasy team. You know, he's just, yeah. he's just laid down an assist and a goal and then he gets red card. <laughs> And Broxham well, was... And he should have got, like, he was unfortunate not to have got the second goal as well. Uh, the one that ended up being um, given to Barbarossa, yeah. Yeah, uh, Broxham was sort of wrestling him, taking him down, trying to be physical and, and get a reaction out of him. And, and that he did. As, and as sort of Bumyohan was going to the ground, he sort of threw the arm out. Like, it was one of those ones where you, you sort of throw it out, not not aiming to hit someone in the face but not caring if your arm hits them in the face in mm. inadvertently in air quotes um and and so i think yeah probably the red to both of them w- was justified but fucking hell broxham what, well, what a shit house that guy is speaking of getting a reaction i mean how about the uh, plastic reptalia that was thrown onto the ah, that was good that was thrown good. onto the pitch you love to see it <laughs> the fans weren't happy the the only thing i've got to say i was Barbara judas <laughs> Uh, speaking of, the only thing I was disappointed about with this game was that Barbaros, is, even though he scored, that there wasn't a big knee slide in front of the North Terrace. Jeez, I'd that love to see that. So big C. <laughs> yeah. He, he would have been drowning in, in, the, in the rubber snakes, though, oh. wouldn't he? <laughs> and they couldn't hate him because he's undeniably the best-looking player in the A-League. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, apart from Ryan Grant, uh, the, the, you know, who's a fan favourite, uh, the, uh, the the more than a game favourite is, is clearly uh, the, the Kiwi Kun. <laughs> um, boys, uh, the Knicks uh, also solidified their hold on the, the top four, um, you know, solidifying their fourth place with a 2-1 win over the pretty hapless Newcastle Jets. Uh, Newcastle controlled big parts of this game um, in the first and the second half, um, and they had twice as many shots as the Knicks. Um, why couldn't they manage to get at least a point? They just weren't clinical. I mean, that uh, missed chance, that, that really had liftoff. I mean, I'm pretty sure they almost went out of the ground. Um, <laughs> and he was probably about three metres away from goal. So It was just about to take off, was it? Harder yeah. to miss than score. Yep. So um, I, I think uh, the Jets just needed to be a bit more clinical. They would have, uh, they should have left with a point at least. Um, but I think it just goes to show that um, in the A-League, there are going to be dips in form. I think I've been waiting for a while. I mean, we've kind of seen it the last couple of weeks with the Phoenix. It's just a matter of time before they sort of have a, have a dip and this is it. And then to get through and still get a win against a team that didn't take their chances, is, is it's pleasing. And um, Marinovic needs credit for that as well. He made some absolutely cracking saves in this game, especially that reaction save from um, the bullet header from Bugard. Um, gee, that would have been a good way to mark his return. But and the um, one at the end was De Gea-esque. Yep, yep. The big back bend and to tip it over the the, the top of the bar. That and was his foot. Lovely. Yeah. That's how many yeah. saves he made. Yeah, <laughs> he, he made re- some really, really good saves. But Newcastle actually have a really shocking record um, uh, at, at Wellington. They, they've they got um, a 76% loss rate oh. at the cake tin, 14 losses in 18 games. So That's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, that's the worst record, re- worst losing record um at Wellington, out of any team in the A League, so it's a it's a real big hoodoo for for Newcastle. 
And and you'd expect um, the Phoenix to be pretty good at home because like it is such a, a long long way to travel, um, but yeah, still still surprising that um, that they're so bad so consistently there. Um, Newcastle. Uh, one thing I do want to mention about Newcastle was that obviously this season they brought in that new rule about the ability of clubs to uh, to name seven on the bench if they uh, if they they have some youngsters on the bench. Um, and Newcastle, maybe this was a cost saving measure. Only had five on the bench, and I'm thinking you last by a long way. Surely you'd throw a couple of kids on the bench. Uh, what have you got to lose, really? Like, why not? I just don't know how Hoffman keeps getting starts. I mean, give it, give it uh, Angus Thurgate for the rest of the season. Just Thurgate, Thurgate, <laughs> the uh, Port Macquarie Pele. Just, just get him in there. He looked, he looked bright when he came on. I thought, surely he has to start next game. Well, G, G the a, Phoenix, though, the um, living de Vila Loca. They, <laughs> that tweet did not get enough love, yeah, it Jesse. Did not get enough love. <laughs> it's going to get a retweet. Uh, and we better give some, we better give some love to the Knicks who have um, been, been really, really solid. Um, you know. For most of this season now, and and Fourth place. Uh, Davila, as, as you said, uh, Jesse um, set up Satirio's uh, goal um, with that delicious through ball and grabbed a really composed finish of his own. He's up to ten goals for the season now. Uh, is he is he uh, one of the front runners for the Johnny Warren Medal this season? If he can keep it up, um, for sure. And I think Satirio Joshua, Joshua, he um. Was it his first touch of the ball when he, when he oh, came? I think on? so. He came on. He came on, and we were in the pub, and I was I was gassing up McCowart, who'd just gone off, and he not had the best game, but I was gassing him up, saying, "Yeah, he's one for the future," and blah, and you know, Satirio shit, and then Satirio comes <laughs> on and scores, scores the with winner. His first touch um, it was almost as good as uh, as Vandy on on Twitter, who said Satirio's. There's no way Satirio's scoring gets us. He's a spud or something to that effect, and then everyone retweeted him. Such a that. tight line for that offside. I I, I reckon I was I was half expecting the Microsoft Paint to come out again. Yeah, there was was one of those armpit calls, but I'm glad they didn't pull that one back because, um, yeah, it deserved the goal. Um, uh, and, uh, Tommy, any, any other thoughts on this one? Nope. Uh, so Melbourne City and Perth, which you may have thoughts on because you were there. Um, this this one um, was a real test for Perth um, and, and they've got a good, um, you know, after their sort of six-game winning streak um, where they failed to convince everyone that they were the real deal, um, this is probably a mark against them. Both teams seem to have their chances. What, what did you make of this game? Yeah, I said to Alex from Preston, who I was watching the game uh, with yesterday, that this is one of those examples of where a nil or draw can actually be a really entertaining match. Um, both teams had chances. Yeah, they couldn't take them, but this was two two teams playing at a pretty decent level and just on the day um, they pretty much cancelled each other out. Um, I thought um, there were some interesting decisions that were made, for example, playing Delbridge at right back, basically to uh, to go 1v1 against Castro. Um, that, that was an interesting decision. You sort of think, well, geez, if that comes off, it's a tactical masterstroke. But if it doesn't, wow, he's got the opportunity to make a, really make him look foolish. But um, I thought Delbridge actually did pretty well against Castro and Castro didn't really have a lot of influence on the game. So, yeah, uh, bold call there by Montbert. Um, besides that, probably the... Um, uh, the, there was a couple of weird moments for City where um, it appears as though uh, some of the ball uh, players on the ball, so for example, um, uh, Bazanis when he had the ball in his hands, him and other players were screaming at McLaren to move or to, to make a run into one of the channels or something like that, and he just never did. Um, 
and it was a it was an odd game. Um, and I sort of sense whether or not like all is well uh, within the city squad at the moment. Is McLaren stroppy that he hasn't got his move, his I January move? That. Yeah, because uh, and, and we actually were discussing that last night about whether or not. Uh, maybe an offer came in, but City just laughed it off. But McLaren was actually like, well, that would actually be maybe a decent move. Uh, maybe he's in touch with Taggart and finding out about how Taggart's done really well in Korea and he's thinking, oh, well, maybe going even to like a mid-tier like Chinese or Korean team at this point may not be such a bad idea. Um, but uh, what else? There was actually one uh, majorly bizarre moment uh just before half time, uh, Liam Reddy, the Perth goalkeeper, has got the ball at his feet. Uh, as I was talking about, uh, another strange moment with um, with McLaren. He's basically sitting on halfway, waiting for um, for Reddy to pass the ball out to one of the centre backs or wing backs or just to go long and hoof it long. But uh, he doesn't. He just sits there with the ball at his feet. And this went on for a good forty five seconds, where Reddy. Wasn't he? He didn't look interested. He wasn't going to pick up the ball. He wasn't going to hoof it long. None of the defenders were running short to collect the ball either. Sounds like everyone else wasn't ready. Yeah, exactly. And ready was the only one who was ready on the on the pitch. And and the crowd was going bonkers. Everyone was <laughs> booing. And then so finally, uh, McLaren goes to close him down because everyone's just like, "This is a farce." Right. Um. And it's probably one of the most bizarre things I've seen that, uh, like in terms of actually happening naturally within the game as opposed to some of the other weird shit that happens sort of on the periphery of football matches sometimes. But, um, yeah, just a, a really weird moment. Sometimes it, it was like, like earlier in the season when um, I think the Woo were playing either the Knicks or the Mariners or someone and um, the Woo were up in the game and they were passing it around the back and then they weren't being pressed. So one of them just put their foot on the ball and they were like, all right, I'm it not was, moving. It was Steven Taylor. Yeah, he just yeah. put his foot oh, on the ball the Knicks, and, and yeah. he was kind of like just looking at – it was when they were playing victory and yeah. um, it was either Kem Sober or Toivonen just looked at him and, and Taylor was like, well – if you're not going to press me, yeah. I'm just going to stand here, yeah. And it it actually probably went on for double the length of, of that clip, right? So it, it, it honestly went for 45 seconds, close, closer to a minute, I reckon. It was weird. Just a gif waiting to happen. Yeah, exactly. And, but and, it would have been a really boring gif. And what did you make of uh, Sosieta, Tommy? Um, new, mean, new signing. Everyone's like gassing him up as the next sort of um, Castro or Broish for the league. Like, how, how did you rate his performance? Um, I thought he looked good. He's um, he's not a super quick player. Um, got a great touch. Really skillful player. Not a not a dribbler in the same way that Castro maybe is though. Um, but what I did like was that um, I thought his interplay with Luna um, was really nice. There's two players that are really on the same wavelength there and they have a good connection already. Um, so I think um, that has some potential there. And, and Luna's been one of uh, uh, one of the underwhelming players, I guess, for City this season. So if uh, he comes in and he uh, if Sassueta does, does well and he's able to bring out the best in another import as well, it, it's, um, I guess, an extra bonus, I guess, for City. So Luna's um, got the potential to go out of this world. <laughs> Did he put any into orbit? <laughs> no, he needs to take some lessons from Hoffman's, I guess. Uh, all right, boys. Uh, and um, in the in the final match that we'll be covering this weekend, because obviously um, we're a little bit before the uh, Woo Adelaide game, uh, the Mariners um, hosted the Raw, and it was a late Corey Brown goal. We're call, calling it a Corey Brown goal, not a Lewis Miller own goal. Uh, it was enough to keep the Raw's seven-year dominance at Gosford going. And a cross-come shot at that. And a cross... Oh, yeah. Maybe, uh, <laughs> boys. Um, I think um, I think Matt Olson actually had a thread on um, on on Taff about this uh, about the raw being the ultimate shithouses, and I'm I'm here for it. I'm absolutely here for this it's sort of like 
we're in the top six, uh, undefeated in 2020. Um, I've not seen them play good football literally all season. Um, we're above the victory uh, and, and I'm here for this. Just like the property letter, it takes a while to go up the alligator and you just have to be patient. <laughs> and you can buy garbage and just renovate it. <laughs> just do it up. Buy low, sell low. <laughs> sell slightly higher. Sell slightly higher. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I kind of feel for, again, we, I feel like we say this almost every week, but I feel for the Mariners in this one, like that's such a shitty mistake by Birigidi to, to let that through. And, and he had a cracking game too. Yeah. Birigidi had such a, a good sheet. game. He deserved a clean sheet. Right, and, but we say this, yeah, if not every week, every at least every second week that, oh, geez, Mariners are unlucky there. But, I mean, like when, when do they finally get a little bit of luck going their way? This was a game that just deserved to be um, – you know, uh, what we should be sitting here talking about is the, the keepers, the Jamie Young and, and Bera Giddy. This should, this should like, I even had this on the run run sheet and I had to correct it just before I was about to lead into it as a, as a nil-all draw because that's really what it should have been. That's what it felt like. Yeah, it's what it felt like. Um, but um, the other the other thing that I noticed in this one, uh, Sam Silvera, back from his LA trial. How do you think that went? Yeah, it mustn't have gone real well. Um who was he up against? Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips was also on loan there. So, Joey, um, yeah, Joey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they had like a rap off or something. Some West Coast rap. Yeah. Um, but we need, we need uh, Sal talks. Uh, Super fan of the pod, um, Sal. We needed maybe some input from him about what the what the talk is around uh, the galaxy. Around. Sal wasn't happy when we when we posted that about LAFC. Obviously, bitter bitter rivals of um, Sal's LA Galaxy. Um, yeah, so maybe Silvera's made the right choice um, by by not joining the Galaxy, uh, the uh, LAFC. We don't know. Coming up next, uh, match day twenty four of the Premier League. One by me, Wood! That is a cracking finish! And Burnley score first at Old Trafford again! Take an advantage here, and they have 35 minutes to keep it, or improve on it. Wood, Rodriguez! Oh! Screamer! Wow, he flashed that in! De Gea could barely twitch! The fog rolls in at Old Trafford and Manchester United struggle to see where they are going next. Burnley win on this famous ground for the first time in the better part of six decades. Another night, another week, another month of introspection as they fail again in front of their own. The final score at Old Trafford, Manchester United nil, Burnley 2. All right, boys. So, Man United uh, suffered a historic defeat uh, at home to Burnley, uh, losing at Old Trafford to Burnley for the first time since 1962. Um, Burnley with the 13th different away team to win at Old Trafford since Sir Alex Ferguson retired in 2013. Rio Ferdinand called this one an embarrassment, uh, and United have now lost more Premier League games since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took the permanent job than they've won. And they have 11 fewer points than they had at this point uh, in the season last year and a six points off Champions League places. Boys, should Ollie be sacked? And if so, when? Well, I think the obvious answer is yes to this one. And look, I predicted that he wouldn't make it to Christmas. So I'm, I'm actually quite surprised that he's lasted this long. Jesse, you got anything uh, different to that to add? No, I mean, I was listening to uh, Transfer talk on the way here and... Um, 
the Man United fan was on there talking about Ole and by the end of the um, phone call and I almost drove the car off the road because it was that depressing. But um, <laughs> basically the general vibe amongst the fans is that they obviously have a lot of impatience when the, the results aren't coming. I think that there's been probably for United fans, um, they've probably been relatively patient with the fact that he's been at the wheel because they kind of knew, uh, he, apart from Pochettino, there hasn't really been any other managers available at the moment. So they're sort of, they've been shown a bit of patience, but I think what's happened in the last few weeks is, I mean, particularly this last week, is they've just been on the receiving end, uh, receiving end of some pretty morally uh, demoralising rubbish performances, rubbish performances right. and that's... That's now put the pressure on him properly. I think he's. I think there's always been pressure, but I think uh, just recently is it's really uh, the blowtorch has been applied. And it's interesting because Tommy mentioned at the start of the podcast about um, all the fans, you know, have been directing their anger towards the Glazers, and you've got Ed Woodward and stuff like that. So, which which is appropriate, I think. Yeah, too. absolutely. Whereas not much of that has been directed towards Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. However, social media is a really different story. You've got. You know the all out tag trending, and you've got mm. a lot more direct fan anger towards Solskjaer there. But look, yeah, I think you know just because you've got a bigger problem in the Glazers and a poor squad and Ed Woodward doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't solve the like the easy fix of like getting rid of a manager because like he doesn't like which Premier League team does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer get into as manager? Like who is he a better manager than in the Premier League? None of them. I can't think of anyone. And the only reason he's there is because he scored a goal for them. Maybe Steve Bruce. Well, well even Steve Bruce has done pretty well for himself, I think, this year at Newcastle. So I, I, you'd say, no, you, you, you've done well, stay there. I think there, there's a little bit of um, uh, perspective that's required as well for, for Manchester United fans. Like how much money has Manchester United spent in like the last five years? Like over 500 million pounds. The right, net spend is, is outrageous. Obscene, right? And so you'd have to argue that well, a lot of this isn't down to necessarily specifically the Glazers. They're spending money. They're making heaps of money as well. The, the decisions about who uh, who they've purchased, that has been terrible. And the lack of, and that I comes guess, down to Woodward, doesn't it? Like that, you've got to, yeah. that's got to land squarely at his feet. If he's like an ex-investment banker who's basically acting as a, director of football he's um, playing football manager man. yeah like, he's playing football manager and um he's not making the right the right choices no and and like they're they're not smart football decisions like yeah like Di Maria and Falcao might have been like great in terms of selling jerseys and stuff but like they really did not work and you question whether or not like um going from uh Fergie to Moyes to D- Van Gaal to Mourinho to Ole uh, is any sort of progression there and it doesn't make any sense. De-evolution. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, the other thing I want to mention about perspective as well is that um, let, let's not forget that within I think it's like 50 miles of Manchester is Bury and Bolton, two clubs that either don't exist or went very close to not existing. And all of this bullshit, I'll call it for what it is, from Manchester United fans saying, oh, yeah, this is this is the worst period, this is the worst, blah, 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 blah. Get some perspective because uh, yeah, there's there's people that have followed football, uh, some football teams for for their whole life, and their football team doesn't exist anymore because of uh, poor management. So yeah, important moment I think for for Manchester United fans. So what even are they- even sorry, one more point about perspective. Uh, even uh, boys, you two being uh, Manchester uh, sorry Liverpool fans, you'd be able to oh, wash your this fucking mouth. <laughs> sorry. Like I said, perspective is important. Uh, we are not quite. I, I don't think Manchester United have fallen to their lowest point yet. Let's not remember. Let's not forget how far off uh, Liverpool were when um, 
they had Hodgson at the helm and they had Ricky Lambert and Barini. Fabio Barini and there was one other just spud playing up top. and Balotelli. Yeah, and like it was rubbish and like Liverpool's come a long, long way since then but Manchester United, I think they're, they're going to get worse before they get better. And just to, to finish with that, I, I, I watched a uh, um, an interview that was actually filmed early 2017 or late 2016 between a Man United fan and a Liverpool fan. And the Liverpool fan was saying to the guy, I actually feel sorry for you because you're not seeing what's coming. And the Man United fan was like goading mm. um, the Liverpool fan about the, how they hadn't won the Premier League, how they hadn't won any trophies, all this kind of stuff. And they, All the they, usual. He was, taking, he was taking the piss out of Virgil van Dijk coming in because he'd just been signed at that point. And he was saying that he's just like a bag of chips. And it was just really interesting to watch now because the Liverpool fan was – was not denying any of the things that the Man United guy was saying. He was saying, yep, we definitely haven't won for ages. We're definitely under pressure to win. But the United fan, the difference between him and the Liverpool fan is the Liverpool fan was saying, I've been there. I've seen how hard it is and how long it takes to turn turn around. And he was saying to the United fan, you guys are walking towards it and you can't see it. And it's actually interesting how fast it's happened. I think that it seems quite recent that you still had, it's only a couple of years ago that Rooney was still there and you sort of, they, 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 the fans probably still thought they were okay. Well, but it's um, actually really started to unravel for them. Mourinho got them to second only two seasons ago. His greatest managerial And we're really decision. starting to see, like he said, with greatest managerial decision, but we're really starting to see just how good that achievement was. Yep, here, here. And um, so where, where, where do United start to turn this around? Um, like you've got the Glazers, you've got the Woodward, and you've got the Deadwood. Like <laughs> it's, it's undoubted uh, Woodward's skill at getting uh, money out of noodle companies and uh, agricultural product companies. Do that. Mate, you need to step away from football decisions though and they need to get specialists in there um, so that they can put in some proper decision-making infrastructure when it comes to football decisions. That would be a big major step. Once they get that in place, I think a lot of the other things will fall into place. Um, but yeah, Edward, Edward Wood stepping away from football decisions, first big step in the right direction. And let's let's give a bit of let's give a bit of love uh, to Burnley and uh, Sean Dyche Chris boys. Chris Wood, go on, Jesse, let us have it. A l- lovely finish. Uh, not the best goal of the game though. Um, that was saved for Jay Rodriguez, who just absolutely uh, what a peach that yeah, was. Lashed it. Um, but Burnley, uh, they've lost. Or, you know, before the Leicester game, they'd lost their last four league games. Um, obviously, they're a club with limited resources. Um, they um, Ashley Barnes was out injured, which doesn't sound like much, but he was a great. He's a great foil for Chris Wood, um, and um, they they managed to knock off Leicester and really fight back in that game, and then you know comprehensively beat United uh, at home as well. So, um, Deitch is just going to do what he does, isn't he? Like they, he's just going to motivate those teams and get them to dig in and play hard and. Everyone wants it, and like he's he's gotten every drop of potential out of that squad. I think every everything that he can get out of him, he's got. Do, do you reckon Dyche uh, in his pregame like team talk was just going to say, "Boys, it's only Manchester United." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, boys. Uh, Liverpool uh, got a real scare by uh, a resurgent Wolves after going one nil down early. Wolves got themselves back into the game thanks to a well-worked uh, Traore ball into Jimenez, um, and Wolves dominated. I would say most of the the second half, but couldn't make Liverpool pay uh, when Bobby Firmino stepped up with a late clutch go-ahead goal. Um, and it's forty games undefeated for Liverpool now. They're the fifth team in English football league history to do so. Uh, boys, Jack Hardy wants to know um, 
he says the record for the earliest Premier League win is April 14th by United. Can Liverpool beat that? To, to do it, they need to stay 16 points clear by the 12th of April um, when they play Villa at Anfield. And Jesse, I'll, I'll go to you because uh, you're actually going over uh, to Liverpool um, at the end of the season. You, you're booked up, so you've got a vested interest in, in this question. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm – well, just to clarify, I'm definitely going to miss, uh, you know, if they went on a date in April or something, I'm definitely going to miss that. I'm going to the Newcastle game, the last game of the season, away. But the uh, – the interesting thing about what you're just saying is you would think that if Liverpool were to keep winning and go on to win, then City were to lose. Like I would, most people would be like, listen, City could make it really hard for them and just keep winning and keep winning. But the thing with City, as we've talked about in the last few pods, is they've got the absolute fixtures of death coming up um, and, and really close succession as well, some really big games. And I think City are good enough to win all of those games, but I don't know if they're going to be able to be up for it considering that they're going to have one eye on the Champions League coming up too. So I think to answer your original question, I think it is highly likely that if City do shit the bed in a couple of those games, then uh, Liverpool could go on. But I think it is a matter of time before Liverpool has a draw or has a loss. Uh, Well, the key thing, boys, is that Liverpool are now mathematically safe from relegation. Uh, it was only, uh, but but it was only last season uh, that Wolves came up, and this is their uh, second season back. Um, but a, a Champions League spot's not out of the question for them now. So I just wanted to get your views on on who do you think is the better newly promoted team, Wolves or Sheffield United? Spicy. Uh, I can hear uh, Damo just screaming from home. Look, uh, look, which we say once a pod or yeah, twice a pod. Now. We do, don't we? <laughs> it, it would be very easy and very tempting to say uh, that Wolves, but uh, unfortunately, I've got to say that this is Sheffield United because uh, whilst um, Wolves were amazing last season and a real breath of fresh air, and it was great watching them, and they still they've done they've repeated that again this season. Um, I've got to say that um, I definitely think it's a bigger achievement for Sheffield United because basically they don't have the support of Uncle Uncle Georgie. Like Wolves were able to bring in one of the best. Young they just played the FIFA career mode and stacked their team with like international talent. They spent some money, yep. and Sheffield uh, did it all with the the Brexit lads. Brexit squad. Yep, and I mean like some. Like you obviously had Ruben Neves and Joao Mourinho this year, oh, Mayo. and like Sheffield United have managed to do like they've matched that same achievement, but with rubbish players like Stevens and Basham. I could, I could squeeze it in there somehow, <laughs> couldn't I? <laughs> I think I think we're all actually uh, pretty well in agreement there. Going back to uh, Wolves, um, Traore and Jimenez. Um, is this the greatest combination we've seen since Andy Corbinitis in the leather jacket? Oh, it's it's certainly as prolific a combination as Andy Corbinitis and his and his leather Con- jacket conversion rate. Right? They've combined um, for eight goals this season, so I think they're Ooh. the most prolific partnership. Those two as well. So they've definitely um, they've definitely got something going on. But Traore boys, like how how good has he been this season? Well, he's use your words. He's <laughs> he's managed to um to find some end product, which. He's always gotten into threatening positions and he's always been really good, but now now he's actually able to do something with it. Like you saw at Middlesbrough, he was he was electric, right? He was strong and powerful. He's always quick. been an injury-prone pace merchant yeah, that just had no end product, like he, you say. He's the Premier League's David Williams, basically. But he, as we've seen, even David Williams has a has a, a purple patch every now and again. Like It's funny though, everyone talks about his end product improving, but I actually think uh, aside from that, one of the things that's the most impressive about him is the way that he's holding the ball. I mean, I know the guy is built with like a American footballer, so I mean it's pretty hard to get the ball off him. But he, 
he was surrounded by Liverpool players in that game, and there were just moments where you just thought, I can't, we can't get the ball off him. He's, he's that, he, and he was so effective in that game because it was clear that all of the Wolves players have started um, adapting their game around Traore. Like they're just pinging the ball over or through for in him to space. run onto mm. to use mm. his pace, and he had the beating of um, uh, Andy Robertson in that game um, for pace. And um, he, he just he just did a really really great job with that, and he looked super threatening every time he had the ball. Um, and I think Nuno's managed to polish the rough diamond. He's he's going to be uh, very attractive uh, on the summer transfer market if he keeps this up. What do you think that means for the likes of uh, Jota at, at Wolves? Do you think that I think Jota will come back in for Neto on the other side? I okay. think they'll play both um, because Jota, yes, because um, there was a period this, where they were playing three at the back and also three in midfield, which meant only two up front, right? I think they'll keep the same three up front, but. Yeah, right. um, uh, Neto will just go to the bench because um, yeah. Jota is a quality player and if mm. he can regain some of that form, yeah, he's he deserves to be there ahead of Neto. Neto is quite good off the bench as well. Mm. And, and lads, do you think it's a prerequisite of the back five to have White at the end of your name? Your Cody's, um, your Bollies. your Bollies. I mean, you know, is there something going on here? Your Johnny's. Uh, yeah, I think I think that might be might be right. But a couple more players that we should give a bit of love to, boys. Uh, Bobby Firmino um, only scores the big goals. Um, scored the winner in the Club World Cup, and he's just he's just scored crucial away goals this season. People are going to start calling him Divock Origi if he keeps banging in big moment goals like this. Uh, what what did you make of his performance, Jesse? Well, I mean, and, and he's he's missing a couple of chances every game, but he just when he has that one final chance, he, he buries it. I mean, he'd missed one about, uh, I think it was two minutes before he, he scored that. And, uh, yeah, great for him. He hasn't scored a goal at Anfield this season. So, he's yeah, as you say, he's just all of his goals are coming away from home. But um, really important clutch moment. Mane had left the field, obviously, in the first half. So, um, huge. Yeah, and um, that's that's the next point and the next um, thing to talk about on this game was obviously the Mane injury. Uh, Tommy, should Liverpool be concerned? Well, you do have Origi that uh, can come in for him. And Origi's done really well when given opportunities, whether it's off the bench or in sort of single outings. I guess the the real test is going to be for uh, Liverpool or Origi about whether or not if, uh, if Mane is out for a stretch, that... Um, if Origi can turn it on for a few weeks. And um, like he, he's been a player that's sort of been threatening uh, to, to, to be able to do it in, in uh, long periods. But um, yeah, this this would be push coming to shove and he'd be given an opportunity, which rightfully he, I guess he deserves because of his, his appearance, uh, his, um, his results off the bench and, and so forth over the last arguably over six months now. I'm curious to see what, Klopp's plan is with Shakiri because I'm a big Shakiri fan and obviously he's been omitted a lot. He has had a calf niggle that just doesn't seem to go away, but he, he's lot just a lot, lot of space for niggles just, to creep in just, there. Just a massive calf. But <laughs> but basically, I, I sort of look at that situation and I think, I mean, they're cows, buddy. They're full grown cows. His, his calves don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're milking that for all it's <laughs> worth. But, um, but he. Um, he 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 is one of those players. I mean, I mean, no, Oxide Chamberlain can play left. I don't think it's his best position, but he can play left. So there are players that can go in there, and this is probably the first time in a, in a long time where Liverpool have had that much depth. Would the Ox and Shakiri's calves have a green line on on Ultimate Team? Would they have a really really good chemistry between them? I mean, yeah, they'd cream it for sure. <laughs> Were you just pausing then about whether or not like the creaming comment was? He was uh, considering yeah. the pun. He was really yeah, mulling. Was he was like, mulling that one over. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 
Uh, boys, uh, Sheffield uh, narrowly went down to Manchester City at home. Um, City winning out 1-0 thanks to a well-taken Aguero goal. Um, but there were um, there was um, one one man uh, from Sheffield that stood out uh, head and shoulders above the rest, and that was Dean Henderson. Um, what did you make of his performance, boys? He, he was massive, not only in this one, but all season really for them. Um, he was really missed when uh, Sheffield United played Manchester United. And it's going to be really curious to see what happens with him at the end of the season. Uh, Damo was talking last week about um, how they had the option to buy him for ten million in the summer, and they said, "Nah, nah, we'll, we'll give it a, give it till the end of the season." Yeah, whoops. Um, and they're looking like now they're they're probably going to take him on a third loan spell. Um, oh. So they're like, they're like the millennials of the Premier League. They they missed the opportunity to get into the market early and um, to to buy him and and you know so now because of all those Rodwell and Ravels on toast they've been buying they they're not going to be able to afford the uh, the home they need in the, the Hendo home. It's going to rent for the rest of their lives. And it's it's looking like they might be able to Sheffield might be able to get Kyle Walker who's a Sheffield lad uh, in in next season as well and I, I think. Uh, City and Pep have been pretty open to say, oh, no, sorry, Chris Wilder has, has sort of said, oh, yeah, you know, wouldn't wouldn't rule that one out either. So, yeah, right. Um, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd heard that one. They, that's, they, that's, that's a big, <clears throat> it would be a big in for them. He, he would be great there as well. And, and yeah, I, I'm uh, surprised that City would uh, be willing to let him go. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it, it's, it's, it's good backup. He's still for, good backup for Bulldog. It's good. <laughs> it's good that it's good that Sheffield seem to have one eye on the next season already. They know yeah. they pretty much know they're safe and they're they're looking to strengthen and solidify in the Premier League, and that's really what you'd want to hear as a as a Sheffield fan. Um, but boys, onto onto City, uh, Gabby Jesus, um, lot of misses uh, from the penalty spot, um, and couldn't get a goal in open play either. Is is he the real deal for uh, the the Aguero successor, or uh, have City? Got to look elsewhere. Somehow he's managed to already score 50 goals for City, which I have no idea. That is an outrageous stat. Yeah. like um, Thank De Bruyne for half of them probably. Well, yeah, and I guess that's the thing. Like you can be rubbish and not that Jesus is rubbish. He's he's quite a good player, but he he – when he comes up against the best defenses, I think I could have scored half a go- half a dozen goals for City with that kind of service. Yeah, exactly. You're probably not wrong that like uh, when De Bruyne is just, just standing at the far in, post. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just got to run full pelt for like twenty meters and hope that just throw yourself on the on the ground and you'll you'll get a couple. Yeah, look, I I, I think Pep would be really concerned if Pep was going to be hanging around past the end of this season. I think Pep would be really concerned about Aguero. He, I think he's always sort of he's never really warm to Aguero because Aguero doesn't really put in at training and so he's always kind of begrudged, I guess, uh, that um, the success that Aguero has had at, at City and. Uh, I think secretly we'd love to have someone someone else uh, do the same role and, and get the same results, but someone who's actually trying at training. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I, I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they move on uh, Gabby Jesus in the in the summer, but who's actually making that decision, I guess, depends on who they bring in to replace him. Seems like there could potentially be a lot of change on the uh, on the horizon for City, like Pep's. Pep's publicly said that the sort of challenge has gone for him this season and it seems like he's now that the the opportunity to win the league is sort of off the cards pretty and, much. And we know he can't win the Champions League. We know so he can't win the Messi. Champions League without Messi. Um, you know, he can only do it in, um, in, in stacked squads with once-in-a-generation talents. Um, uh, what's next for City? Um, like, have they have they peaked? Like, can they can they improve if Pep leaves or with a half-interested Pep? Like, is this – is you know, 2018, 19, the, the best we're going to see City, are they going to tail off now? Yeah, I, I can't see them getting – I don't see them getting better um, 
significantly for the remainder of this season. I think they'll continue on sort of that current trajectory. But there's been talk for the last close to 12 months of Sane leaving and going to Bayern or something like that. So he he was one of the real elite talents in that squad. Of, it could be the, the you know, there could be a mass exodus if, if Pep leaves as well. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if I see a, a mass exodus, but I, I, I don't see... Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see yeah, Sane leaving. I am surprised. I'm still a little bit shocked by your comment about Walker leaving because I think he's... Ask Chris still, Wilder. Well, he's still by a long way their their best fullback, their most effective fullback. And he can play. he's played in a back four for them. and uh, Sorry, back three for them and for England. And he, he's still such a, a powerful and useful offensive weapon as well. Um, I'm not, not saying that he's been he's been a bit underutilized though. Like he's been played a little bit in the back three, hasn't he? And yeah, like he's got, been he rotated a bit. Goalkeeper, well. goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I, I it's a, a little bit we- a little bit weird because um, in the in the same way that sort of Chelsea and Arsenal have sort of struggled for okay, who who do you bring in as a manager? Who who did Pep? Uh, sorry, who does City replace Pep with? Like Pochettino, and other than that, there's no, there's no, there's no like candidate. A grade managers out there, yeah, really. Is there like, Klopp, maybe? Like, yeah, or well, like Allegri sort of been floated around as a as a candidate for some people, but that's, that's but who's the next big thing? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a great uh, segue Chris to Chelsea Walden. and Arsenal, by the way. Just before we do on the on the other side of that, boys, is um, what's next for Pep? Does he go on a you know life of catch me if you can just um, goes to fraudulence you, and just goes goes and just tries to defraud everyone everywhere that he goes? Or? <laughs> I think he goes and buys a nice holiday home in the hills with Louis Vigo, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they live happily ever after. I reckon he's off to Juve. I, I think that is. I, I don't see Sari lasting there, and I just think that is just it's a match made in in heaven. Like uh, if if Vigo would let us say so much. Didn't see Sari last in and Pep needs to pull out. Back to you, Cops. Uh, Chelsea Arsenal, boys, 2 2. Um, Chelsea couldn't put away a 10 man Arsenal um, after they uh, after David Luiz got sent off in the 26th minute. Um, who's happier with a point here, boys? Arsenal. Clearly yeah. Arsenal. I mean, how, how did they do that? I think not necessarily just the, the result, but uh, for me, I, I think Arteta is most impressed with the, the resolve for, from Arsenal to be able to, to to fight back into that game. Like 1-0 down after, what was it, 25 minutes or something like that. I can't remember when the penalty was given and the red card was given. But yeah, at, at that point you'd think, oh yeah, they're, they're stuffed. And But Arteta was was really aggressive and he... he um, uh, what was it? it was Shaka that went into the back four. They they kept two up front and it paid off for them. Like uh, Martinelli's um, goal, like to to bring them back into the game. Like, Swagriel Martinelli. Yeah. <laughs> but but that uh that that wouldn't have happened in uh, it wouldn't have happened under Wenger. It wouldn't have happened under um who was it Emery. And so like that that's that in itself not necessarily the result but that the willingness to stay in the game and that hunger to stay in the game i think that they can use that as a turning point for this not necessarily just for their season but for that football club just in general they've faced a lot of hurdles this season but do you think they'll have one any more complimentary than Kante sliding over the halfway mark? <laughs> hey, he'd still had to pounce on it and score the goal still and then celebrate like Mbappe at the sideline. He still had a lot of work to do. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's looked um, decent for a couple of weeks now and obviously banged in something like 10 goals in the Europa League as well. Um, and with, with Aubameyang uh, rumoured to be leaving the club and sort of having his head turned for one last big deal, do you think Martinelli can be uh, one of the one of the starters um, for next season. Yeah, I, I mentioned this to um, Q 
Killian, I think it was last week, about the idea of uh, Mbamiang leaving and he didn't seem to be around it. But I actually think it's a good deal for, for Arsenal if they if they let Aubameyang leave. Take some cash. Yeah, because like, you'd probably still get, oh, what, $40 million for him maybe, which is ridiculous. Like well, He's, he's probably also, got two seasons left at the highest level. The right? second club captain or something who's also linked – you know, like Xhaka and, and that's just like every captain that Arsenal has gets linked to a transfer. Yeah. Um, but Martinelli, I think he, he could do the business. Let him grow into the role. It would be real Arsenal areas to, to sell their best. Sell him to United. Yeah. <laughs> to sell one of their best players and then and let, then let an 18-year-old uh, sort of fill the void. And, and then, and then Con- by the time he's 25, his legs are cooked. And, and then Conte buys him for Inter. <laughs> Uh, and boys, um, David Luiz uh, was was sent off as well. Um, gave and that that really gave Arsenal the fight and made them more defensively resolute. Was getting rid of David Luiz as a tactical move by David Luiz. <laughs> no, uh, nothing further to say. Like. <laughs> I've I've already thrown out thrown out my thoughts on this. Uh, I think it's a real shame so, that you fucking that, David Luiz apologist. I, look, I, I, I am not David David Luiz's biggest fan, but. I feel bad for him because he's he's trying David to make Louise, the best top, out of top fan Tommy C. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to make the best of a bad situation, right? After Mustafi absolutely drops him in it, and then um, then it, like he he stuffs it up again, like he doubles down on the mistake, right? And then he gets gets sent off, gives away the penalty. All right, he's he's stuffed up as well and, and compounded the earlier mistake, um, but. So I, I do feel a little bit for, for David Luiz. What I did love about that whole uh, um, passage of play as well is, so uh, I'm not sure if a lot of people might have caught this one, but was um, after David Luiz fouled, uh, who was it? Was it Abraham, I think? Yes. Um, he, he brings him down and Mustafi's finally caught up with play and he tries to clear the ball and he kicks it into David Luiz and the ball, he can't even fucking clear the ball when, when players stopped. It's just... It's got two clowns defending. You're going to get comedy like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, you have Cook's red card last week and you have this one and it's like both of them are to try and prevent goals for your team <laughs> yeah. and you just concede a penalty, you get sent off and then the other team takes the penalty. It's yeah. like you have not done anything good for your team. People who say the A-League is a circus league needs to just watch some of this kind of stuff for some perspective. Um, but boys, let's Perspective move. is important. Let's move on. Leicester, West Ham. Leicester's, uh, uh, Leicester, I mean, they, they really put West Ham to the sword in this game, Tommy. Other than their title-winning season, Leicester haven't had a top-four finish since 1963, uh, and this is the most goals they've had in a top-flight campaign since 1931. How well is this Leicester side going to go in the Champions League next year? Tommy sees hot pick. I think they're going to go pretty well. Like um, Win the Champions League? What um, <laughs> what the, the real challenge for... Come on, Tommy, give us a prediction. <laughs> Uh, they'll probably make it out of the group. I think the real challenge for Leicester is going to be, and we saw this when they last qualified for the Champions League, is the extra extra round of games. And it really does – it means that you can't always play your stronger side in the league and the Champions League because it's just too much football. And already, They're really looking like they're really beefing up that squad though. There's depth there. Yeah, but I mean like – Ilya Nacho's kind of done all right this like season. Like in the first season when they were getting into the Champions League, they were, you know, you had Wes Morgan on one leg. Yeah, I think even Huth was still in the team at the time and yeah. they were. it was really before the real turnover of that but, squad. And, and, and since Kante then, had already left as well. Kante I think, had left, me. like Mares was not interested. Yeah. Um, they made him play a season longer or whatever. And so I think it Barty was, was not about there was, it really, And yeah, there was no chance they were, they were going to have a, uh, you know, a chance at doing well in the Champions League. But now I really think they're set up for it. Yeah, um, I think they are going to need to. They need to. The next move for a striker needs to hit. 
if if they have a hit, even if it's, it it doesn't have to be a, a twenty five a goal season striker, but so it needs to be someone who's getting twelve to fifteen. Not interested in Ian Acho, Tommy. I, I don't think he's that player. That yeah, Nacho with a bit of salsa in the box. <laughs> um, what about going uh, going left field and uh, trying to snag Harry Kane? Ooh. Oh, going home. The gee whiz, Jesse, that would be a good move. The, the I like thing, that. The thing about Harry Kane is he's um, can only play twenty games a season. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that, but he's also English, so there's he comes with that English player premium as well. So you're not going to get Harry Kane for probably less than 150 million pounds, which is he's probably not worth that. He's probably closer to 100 now, probably as well since he's he's his body is uh, Michael Owening. Yeah. Um, Speaking of injuries, boys, Vardy went down in this game with an injury and um, with, with Kane injured, as we say, Rashford's uh, injured, Callum Wilson out of form. Surely it's Ingsy leading the line for England. Yep. Uh, you, you called this a couple of weeks ago, Cole, and it's it's kind of through through other factors it's coming true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, Tommy, just a quick word on West Ham. Uh, managers really the thing that needs changing there. Um, they're they're not looking. Uh, they're not looking too sharp. They're they're pretty close to the relegation zone at the moment as well. And you've got the likes of Haller uh, having blanked in thirteen of his last fifteen games, and Mark Noble just overtaking Paulo Di Canio as uh, West Ham's all time top scorer list. Um, it's time for a new carpet, isn't it? What do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, look, huge problems at West Ham. Like um, one of the one of the real problems was that with. Um, with Pellegrini being sacked, he he he'd brought in uh, obviously he brought in all of his own coaching staff, but also a lot of the, the scouting network was was his team as well. So they've come into this January transfer window and they don't have any targets. They don't have anyone lined up because like the technical director was his name Hasilis. He, he fucked off. His his son or his nephew was one of the other major scouts, and Hasilis he himself went and watched players, and so they yeah they. They're really struggling to get a deal over the It's when line you need to January, get out football right? manager and yeah. just, you know, <laughs> spend a couple of hours. Plus, just, just give me the call up. I can help you out here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, like the, the scouting network is a mess. I think there, there's rumours that we've got one scout at the moment. And, uh, like, the... the, the Mate, I started off my uh, Lincoln City League 2 campaign a couple of seasons ago with two scouts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can help but, you out. But, like, we're... Um, not only that, but I think um, uh, we're... We're, we're putting in just sort of cursory bids like loan deals or loan offers with, with an option to buy for, for players that clubs don't want to loan. Like if you want to come in and buy that player, sure, they might be interested for the right money, but they don't want the money in 12 months' time. They want it now, right? And the, the board are kind of taking the piss, I think, with, with a lot of this and like the fans are furious. There was another um, uh, – uh, a rally pre-game uh, this week. It wasn't quite Burnley last season where there was pitch invasions and stuff like that, but it, it's getting close and uh, the, the team's not playing well. Already they were without confidence when Pellegrini was there, but yeah, this this could get this could get ugly in the the next uh, two months because West Ham have got a really horrid run of games coming up. Like we've already got West Ham, uh, sorry, uh, Liverpool coming up this week, and then after that, I think we play all teams that are sitting in the top half of the of the table. So. Well, well I, I hope this doesn't happen for, for your sake, um, Tommy, but um, this could be one of the only times I think I've ever seen which you have Aston Villa, um, Burnley and West Ham could all get relegated. Yeah. And then there's no Claret in the Premier League. Ooh. 
one one team where the manager might be the problem, boys, is uh, Tottenham. They uh, they they got up over Norwich two one, but uh, we're far from convincing. Um, and um, uh, it was a it was a Son Heung-min header that that got them over the line. Um, sometimes you just got to go out and and get the win. But Norwich in this game, boys, you'd have to say looked looked good for at least a point. I think I'd be really disappointed that they didn't get one. Um, Norwich are a little bit adrift, I guess, at the at the foot of the uh, the Premier League, and it's games like this where you, you need to be converting those decent performances uh, into into points, and and even one point helps uh, them for their current predicament. But if it looks like they're they're going to go down, yeah, I mean, the the way the table is at the moment, like they they could just. Weirder things have happened where teams are playing well but not getting points, and all of a sudden they might just start getting results. and 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 it appears as though they haven't lost confidence in their ability in the same way that like West Ham have, or um, uh, some other teams maybe have this season, like Bournemouth, for example. Villa. So, well, even they're fighting, but yeah, but the injuries, I guess, injuries are really, really hit them hurt too. them. Yeah. The defense has let Norwich down. Technically, they look so sharp sometimes. They they just look. Well, they had injuries early there. on in the season with oh, their defense yeah, as well, yeah. like Godfrey, who who's a who's a really good young talent, um, uh, was was injured early as well, and and that back line who were together for, through so much of the championship sort of got broken up. And we we know that continuity is really important for defenses, um, particularly when it comes to leagues like the Premier League, um, and boys. If Norwich do go down, um, who do you think out of their squad would be good to, to pick up for other Premier League teams? Obviously, I, I think that, that Godfrey um, would be good to be snapped up as well as the, the, the other young fullbacks, Jamal Lewis and Max Ahrens, um, but maybe they need another season with the club first. I think Ooh. Justin Bieber's got a future as well. There's, um, I mentioned before about Kane, like uh, those those three that you just mentioned because they're all homegrown, don't have to be English to, to uh, contribute to your homegrown quarter, quota, but... Um, those three, yeah, would definitely get snapped up in an instant. Instant if uh, Norwich go down. Um, another homegrown player is Cantwell. Todd Cantwell. He, he would definitely get snapped up, I think. And Emmy Buendia as well, obviously. Yeah. He's a talent. Let's not forget the Pookie party. Well, I think the Pookie could be a really good backup. Um, I think he'd be a really solid option off the bench for for another Premier League team, maybe mid-table Premier League team. Well, even like whether it's uh, yeah, like an, one of those sort of top half uh, um, teams, like I think Everton or even Spurs, I think they could do with Pookie. I don't think he's good enough to be first choice at either of those two teams, but I think um, either team would be happy with a player like Pookie if 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 he only plays maybe twenty games a season and maybe a third of those or half of those are off the bench. I think he he's he might be okay with that at this point in his career. What is he? He's, he's not quite. He's 30, late twenties. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's probably still got like one one decent deal left in him, but. Um, yeah, he he might be happy to go to an Everton and, and have that sort of contribution if it if it means he he's able to um, be a bit more successful. On the flip side, though, I think if Norwich can keep that core together and they go down and they can they can manage not to lose too many or any of those players that we mentioned, I think they could be a, a real shout to come straight back up and and be stronger for it. Given that those young players will only improve from another season of regular first team football and playing together, so I, I actually think that if Norwich can manage to hold it all together uh, and they go down, I, I'm not too worried about them well uh, i think the biggest thing if they do go down would be what happens with daniel farker as well like if i think they'll stick by him yeah i agree i think that it looks as as though like if they were going to sack him they would have sacked him by now right but i I think he he might just ride the thing in and hang around even next season so um like we're saying that the confidence hasn't dropped off there they're still playing the same way that they were at the beginning of the season and getting uh and, and having similar performances as well um 
It's just the results aren't quite coming their way. And boys, um, we mentioned Everton before. Um, Drew in the last minute or 90 seconds of the game with Newcastle 2-2 in a game of small margins. Um, never never before has uh, six inches cost so much. Um, with the uh, with that last goal uh, going in, don't know what Pickford was doing defending inside of his own goal. And so we, we sort of touched on Everton, boys, but I just wanted just to get... Just needed Robbie Slater for that one, didn't we? Just wanted to get your views <laughs> on Steve Bruce. Is he the most... Uh, speaking of six inches, is he the most kissed on the dick manager in the, the Premier League? Uh, <laughs> just uh, re- recovering from that one. Wow. Then, um, um, yeah, just like Everton. Setting up teams to defend, just nick a goal with no obvious plan. Um, that's not supposed to work at this level, but it sort of just is. Yeah, I think he, I think it's a classic example of playing fixtures for what they are. He's looked at them and he's thought, well, they're pretty vulnerable. It didn't work for 90-something 90, 90 minutes and then the vulnerability came out for the last two minutes and that was it. I mean, obviously, he was very lucky. but And obviously, Dubravka has been a big big part of this success as well and, and allowing Newcastle to really hang in there um, and, and sort of keep them in games like only being a goal or, or two, in this case, out of touch. But um, I just don't know how much longer they can keep pulling off these kind of performances. Well, they just need to get everybody on the park at the same time, that Grand Theft Auto front three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, last couple of games uh, of of the of the uh, midweek Premier League or the late in the week Premier League games, boys. Uh, Bournemouth bounced back uh, against Brighton at home, winning three one. Palace uh, went down two 0 to Southampton, and uh, Villa got a win against Watford late, as you said before. Jesse two one. Um, is boys is ninth to twentieth in in the Premier League? Uh, is is that the relegation fight? What a mess! What a mess! Uh, totally. Uh, excluding Norwich, who are in last, there's eight points between ninth and 19th at the moment, which that's that's outrageous. Um, you, you can see that like uh, teams can drag themselves out of that. I think Watford's form has been outrageous in the last month uh, or six weeks. Um, everyone, I think, had written them off and said they were done, but like they're now right in the hunt to stay up. Um, and all of that has changed just in six weeks. So... Um, and Southampton as well, they've done really well for themselves and they're now looking as though they could be safe. But um, by the same token that you can get yourself out of that danger in six weeks, you could be back into it in six weeks' time as well. And so I guess that's the, that's the one thing that gives me hope as a West Ham fan is that, okay, get a good, get a good run of uh, results and you, you, could be, you could be safe uh, just in two months' time. It's going to be an absolute dogfight from here. Um, we're, you know, earlier in the pod, we're talking about Liverpool and records and City and all these games coming up. And it's like, for me, uh, from a Liverpool perspective, I'm looking at it and I'm like, pretty much every team that you play between now and the end of the season, and it's always like this, but even more so this year, it's like everyone's just fighting their own position in the table. Three points is huge. One point is huge. So you will see more teams adopt that kind of Newcastle tactic and just shut up shop if it means they get one point against the top top side. It's just... It's just going to be an absolute dogfight, I think, from the, from this point onwards. Bournemouth, I think, uh, I think they're cooked. But if they can come out um, and continue to to get a couple of results against those lower teams, then maybe they'll survive. But I, I can't see it happening. Well, where where we've seen a real shift in the Premier League in the last two to three seasons is that there were some mid-table teams that were um, two seasons ago were happy with just sort of parking the bus and hoping to get a point, like we saw Brighton. Your West Broms. And, uh, uh, we saw even Brighton under Chris Hooten. They were, yeah, pretty average squad, and they had big Glenn Murray up front, and like they were playing a pretty agricultural style of football. But 
Um, they've been a bit more expansive this season, try to be a bit more uh, fluid and they haven't really got the results to sort of go along with it. And you've seen Norwich have done the same, you've seen Villa have done the same, uh, West Ham under Pellegrini tried to do the same, Everton tried to do the same and no one's like you, not, not everyone can play uh, uh, flowing attacking football and get points. Um, it's just an inevitability and like you saw Huddersfield who had a pretty bang poor, uh, pretty bang average squad a couple of years ago but they stayed up because one, the league um, was a just a more defensive approach um, but they defended resolutely and were able to get um, points and, and get nil all draws and get one-one draws and, and nick the odd victory. So um, it, it's going to be a really tight relegation um, battle this year and it's going to be curious because I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see like already you've got Moyes in at West Ham and he's going to play a little bit more uh, sort of structured approach maybe. Um, but be curious to see if some of the other teams maybe start to do uh, something similar and, and you maybe see Farco, for example, take maybe a slightly different approach to what he's done uh, the first half of the season. Well, yeah, Tommy, it seems like um, the, the relegation fight is is tighter than a pair of Ralph Hasenhutl's trackies. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I, I think full credit to to him. You know, we, we've said all season that ingsy has been carrying that team, but you have to give credit to stupid, sexy Hasenhutl, um, who's, uh, who seems to have uh, struck a balance between um, being defensively solid and having that attack in flair. And, and you're starting to see a couple of teams employ this 4-4-2, but which is a bit, uh, which sort of relies on the left mid and the right mid, sort of the wingers being really dynamic. And if they have a good day, that can make or break that system where the wingers can be creative, give you goal threat, cover for the fullbacks, cover for the centre mids. And if they really do their job in this uh, system, like like Redmond um, did um, in, in this game um, for Southampton against Palace, um, you can see that system being being really really effective for that mid table level because it gives you that ability to attack and stay solid as well. So and speaking of stay, staying solid um, and Ralph's track is, I mean, the key to a balanced diet is a cut lunch, and um, I think Ralph really exhibited um, what you can do when you've got you know a smaller pair of pants than you probably should have. Well, that's going to do it for us today, boys. <laughs> On that note, uh, uh, thanks thanks everyone uh, for listening as usual. Um, don't forget to subscribe to us if you're not already uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave us a voicemail in our DMs or, uh, or Messenger. Or even a USB stick at McDonald's. <laughs> Drop us a USB stick uh, in, in, a, uh, in a Macca's anywhere and we'll pick it up and uh, read your voicemails out on the podcast. You can also slide into our emails at mtagpodcast at gmail.com. Um, more than a game, as you know, as you well know, is also on Twitter and Facebook. Find us on More Than a Game uh, podcast on Facebook or at MTag Podcast on Twitter and, and same Instagram. On Instagram. <laughs> is that our is that a handle, Tommy? Have you got this? At, you, at MTag Podcast. At MTag Podcast on Instagram. Uh, next week, uh, match day twenty five of the Premier League and round seventeen of the A League. In the meantime, enjoy the football. 